And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Welcome, everyone. It is Wednesday. We are halfway through the week. And we are surviving the lockdown. Those of you who are live with us, welcome. Thanks for watching. Hello, Era in the uh, chat. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. I have had my Cocoa Puffs. I am ready for the day. The hardest working man on YouTube, I am told. Eleven and a half years, still waiting for that overnight success to happen. It's coming, one of these days. You never know. Uh, like I said, the live chat is open. The email address, if you want to send us uh, comments, live from the bunker at sci-fi4me.com. We are also open to comments if you are watching or listening to this as a podcast after the fact. We do invite you to participate live. It's a lot more fun when we have people in the chat giving us their comments. Also want to remind everyone that we do have a discount code over at SuperheroStuff.com. 10% off when you use the promo code sci for me 10 And that is good in combination with a number of different offers. Uh, not every offer, but you can use that. So let's talk comics. For a lot of people, uh, we've had the 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 comment, uh, especially with regard to the H2O podcast, uh, people requesting that we talk more about books and we have more literary stuff. Because a lot of times we talk about movies, we talk about TV, and uh, it certainly has seemed to work out that this particular show, we've had a number of authors on to talk about books, but we have also had a number of people on to talk about comic books. And we're going to do that again today. Joining us, uh, I'm not even sure where you are, Ryan. Ryan Wynn, who is... Hey, everybody. Uh, he is the creator of the comic book... Gods and Gears, and we're gonna we'll throw that up here just to start. It's published by Alterna Comics. Now, Ryan, let me ask you: Is this now going to be an ongoing title? Yes, uh, that's one of the most exciting yeses I get to answer to people these days. <laughs> is yes, this is going to be an ongoing series now. Uh, so we can all call Peter Semetti a liar because he put he put limited <laughs> series up here. So, you know, we want to make sure that we write him and let him know that. Why would you do that, man? It's ongoing. <laughs> now, let me let me start there, because the the landscape of the comics industry is certainly changing a lot, especially here in the last couple of years. You've got a number of indie comics creators that are taking to Indiegogo. Some are going over to Kickstarter. We're seeing even now uh, the comics pros, so-called, you know, Scott Snyder, Sean Gordon Murphy. Uh, Boom Studios has been using crowdfunding for a number of projects. We're seeing some from Dynamite. Is the old model done? 
I mean, are are because the direct market, out of everything that we've seen, the direct market, the movie theaters being shut down, that's one aspect of this. But the direct market has certainly taken a hit in this lockdown. Do you see it coming back? Are we in a new paradigm now, do you think? You know, if it does come back, um, I mean, first and foremost, let me state, I'm a dummy. I get in, I, I, I'm into comics. I, uh, I like to study the topics and the issues, but I'm no economist or anything like that. So anything I say, it's just me as a, me as a dummy, just saying stuff. Um, that being said, um, I don't think things are coming back full swing if we're talking um, like the superhero comic side of industries, like right. the, the big two, you know, because we keep, people keep conflating the, the, the scholastic side of the industry that's doing well with, and manga with the, the superhero comic industry, you know, and we have people saying, Oh, well, the industry is doing great. If you look at the numbers and I'm like, okay, well then why are inkers, colors and letters at the big two all freaking out behind the scenes? Yeah. Why are they all starting to try to find that other job, that thing that, okay, this will be the next thing I do for the next 20 years because inking, coloring and lettering isn't, the, the jobs aren't there. The page rates are going down. Royalties and compensations less. All those all of those things are happening in the big two. Yet we're getting these messages. Oh no, it's fine. Comics are great. Comics are doing better than ever. If you look only at this metric here, but well, don't look at this and the, here. The royalty. The question of royalties, even that doesn't even kick in unless the book sells a certain number of copies, right? I mean, if if that's it's, true. What I think the threshold is now what forty thousand. So if you if you've got a book that only does sixteen hundred, you're out of luck. But yeah, you'll get and, a Netflix deal. <laughs> <laughs> which, if you're just you might be the letter or colorist or inker. I, I bring those positions up the most because they're the most uh, they're treated the harshest. They're mm -hmm. they're cut the quickest. Things like that. Um, but, you know, you have a book that does get a Netflix deal. None of them get anything of that. The writer that created it gets his, their, his or her name there and a credit. and a. But you could be the inker, letters, or colors for five years on a book. You're not going to get yeah. any credit or respect or anything like that, which I'm not saying. I'm also not saying a letterer is the reason Warner Brothers makes a DC movie. You know, I don't But there's something to the hard work of creators and, and credit. Well, and I, I think, too, the other part of that is when you look at the overall package of what makes a book sell, it's not just the writing. I mean, you can have somebody who's got an excellent craft of writing the script, and you get a garbage penciler, and nobody wants to buy the book. Whether the story is good or not, the artwork is going to uh, affect how people receive that book. At, at the same time, you could have somebody who's a mediocre writer, but you get somebody like a Charlie Snogans or a Jim Lee or you know some of the, some of the the top shelf artists that everybody recognizes. Todd McFarlane draws mm -hmm. this book, and the script could be garbage tier, you know, just it could be Bendis, and people would still want to want to buy it because of the art. So there is that there is that that question of how much if you're going for that deal, how much does the the art team contribute to the success of the book? And I would say that it probably factors in almost as important as the 
person writing it? Uh, I would say for myself, it's more important. Um, I, I tend to want to be able to read a comic completely visually. Uh, if I don't have to read too many of the words, I've had a really good time looking at a superhero comic. Uh, and that's, that's just me kind of in general. Like if I'm, but if I'm, you know, picking up a book because I like the writer, obviously I'm reading every word. I'm in, I'm soaking it all up and, and stuff like that. But for me, a good action superhero comic, um, you can read it once and then flip through it if you want. And you know, the whole story and everything is recalled to you because of the art and the storytelling. Yeah. And I think we even proved a little bit in the image uh, in the, the era when image was birthed that you can have quite a few years of selling great looking comics with not much substance to the story. You know? <laughs> um, and I say that with all the respect to the guys at image that I've worked for and worked with. Um, but to be fair, the, when they launched, everything was purely about the visuals and uh, story came second for a long time. And, and that lasted for a couple of years. We all were, you know, we we're like, Hey, these look amazing. Um, it, it took me a while to kind of drop, drop a lot of those titles. I think Spawn was the only one I stuck with for a really long time uh, because I was a, at least most intrigued by the story and the countdown clock and all, all those things. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, it really is. I mean, just like with a lot of things, it comes down to that, that perfect balance. It's really what we want. You know, we want the, the colors and the art to make you pick up the book. We want the storytelling to make you turn the pages and we want the story to draw you back for the next issue. You know, well, so it's like, ideally that's, that's how it should work. Well, and the other, uh, the other part of that, you mentioned image. And I have asked the question of, of several of the artists and, and creators who are doing the crowdfunding model. Are we looking at that same kind of paradigm shift with the Indiegogo, uh, the Kickstarter, with a crowdfunded model? I don't want to say Indiegogo because there are people using Kickstarter. And there are people who are Comicsgate. There are people who are non-Comicsgate that are using both platforms. But the idea of the creator-owned IP, the crowdfunded model, that combination, are we looking at a paradigm shift on the same order as when Image was first launched, do you think? See, that's it's tough. It's uh, How do we measure that? So if we're looking at units moved, <clears throat> we're not going to reach that, right. obviously, because they were, they were selling millions at the time. Um, but I want to, I'd like to think that if we, we had somebody who's really good at math and they could, they could break this down into smaller, that percentage wise, we'd have a similar shift, you know, like if you had a certain percentage of people that shifted from the big two over to buying image comics, then I'm willing to bet that the percentage is very close now because what we're getting is the feedback is very similar. People were really sick of basically what those guys were having to do. And they were tired of it too. And that's, that's why they left. We're not getting paid enough. And you're having us do these. You're having us tell your stories basically. Yeah. And they wanted to tell their own stories. And I think that's kind of what it's the same energy. It's the same vibe. You know, we don't necessarily have like this movement didn't start with, uh, you know, all the top, 
dogs at some companies rounding themselves together and saying, hey, we're, we're going and starting this. It, it actually started with, you know, certain people being pushed away and, and things like that. And, and, and then even actually, no, it started with fans being treated a certain way. Yeah. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, from slot saying F you or dropping the F bomb, that kind of like opened the floodgates for fandom trashing which is a really strange thing to me. <laughs> that's, that's its own psychological topic. Um, so we, we had that as sort of the catalyst, but the result is the same, is that we've got a huge influx of creators going to a different venue that the fans are responding to. And that's what happened with Image. The, the creators shifted and the fans followed. Uh, and I, I think that's where it's it's similar. Like like I said, it's not a numbers thing, but it's an energy. It's a, maybe it's one of those things. It's almost like a, a spirit that comes around every 20, 30 years and kind of causes a, a paradigm shift, um, which means maybe we will go back to the, the big two functioning normally and hiring people and create. Because that's the thing. Uh, step back on that for a sec. Um, comics are doing fine, they say. Well, then these two companies would be establishing jobs and careers that had trajectories and paths for creators to take. Right. And they had that until about 10 years ago. Like there were, you could kind of see a path for yourself to go from an inker to an editor by the way you, you work through and things like that. And then in the last 10 years, everything has shifted to where if you're an inker, they don't want to even know if you want to draw. You're just an inker in a tub of inkers that we lower a line down to and one of you grabs it and we reel you in and you do that job for a few days. And if you can't do it, we just drop the bait in for the next guy right. and he comes in to help finish the job. So they're not, they're not building anything for you as a creator where when we step into these crowdfunding things, you, you personally are immediately laying down a foundation for customers, for readers, for expanding your own, reach and uh nowadays i mean people we're, we're getting more traction i i get more traction as a an indie creator on youtube than certain marvel creators <laughs> and stuff you know and that's just because of the the way we're choosing you know people like you and i are, and are choosing to just directly interact right and maybe it's not millions of fans but we're we have interactive people we have we have something going on here and they're regulars. And, there are people that keep coming back. You're not finding a new audience, brand new, every time you do any kind of a video or you do a, a new issue of the comics. Uh, and we've got some regulars here in the chat. You mentioned the F-bomb from Dan Slott. Let me let me do this real quick. Sci-Fi Snob, the only reason we, we held that is because of the S-bomb you put in. Otherwise, the comment was fine. So... I uh, don't want you to think that we're ignoring you there. But we do have a number of people in the chat there, Era, and saying, you know, I love Ryan's work on the Divinity and Hiding in Time series. Uh, Sci-Fi Snob says, I heard Gods and Gears was one of the best alternate books. Uh, Pedro Ang in the chat saying, uh, getting the job done. Nice. Uh, he's tweeting the link. That's good. We we do appreciate the share. Uh, but I wanted to ask, because you, know, you, you mentioned the units moved. And when you're talking about, you know, you can you know, a lot of people say you're comparing apples to oranges with the with the crowdfunded books versus stuff coming from the big two or, or um, uh, Marvel, DC, Dark Horse. 
But if you look at graphic novels, not the floppies, but you look at the graphic novels and you compare those numbers on Comicron, and I can't remember who did a video on this. I want to say it was Richard looking at uh, the numbers comparing some of the some of the Indiegogo projects with the grant uh, with the with the graphic novels coming from the big two. And numbers wise, you're moving about the same number of units. I think he had a book that if it had been listed in Comicron would have been number three on the chart. So even even then, you know, the crowdfunding model doesn't work very well for single monthly issues. But in terms of graphic novels, I'd say you guys are probably on the same playing field or at least close. Right. Yeah, um, I th I think you're right. I think that was a Richard video. Uh, I try to I try to catch anyone who's doing like analytics or anything like that, like real breakdowns of of what's going on. Um, and I think you're right. I think that's that's where I saw because I saw that same that same video. Um, yeah. So in that sense, we are moving similar numbers. Um, I don't know that people are moving enough numbers to be super happy with the the graphic novel market in the uh, on the industry side, you yeah. know, those are those are still lower numbers. Um, but as far as an indie creator being able to compete with that, uh, those are great numbers. Those are fantastic numbers, um, especially if you're somebody who your first graphic novel wasn't until a year or two ago. Uh, and you're, you're able to pull in those numbers and things like that. And I, I can see that actually kind of flipping if uh, say people like Richard kept their channel going or something over the next few years, those numbers are probably going to grow at least for a little bit, uh, as long as the quality of the products stay up and they, he keeps hiring top artists and things like that. I don't, I don't see that slowing down that much. Uh, so you might actually see a switch with something like that, where we're going to be selling more, more indie books are going to be, or graphic novels, because that's the topic here. Uh, more indie graphic novels uh, may get moved in the next few years. And again, that's comparing to uh, the big two. I, I don't really want to compete with that against Scholastic because Scholastic's going into schools and literally selling hundreds of thousands or, or millions of units purely based on the logistics of getting into schools. Right. You know. Now, um, do you see an opportunity there, though, at some point? Because some some of you guys have done retail level tiers in your in your projects in your campaigns. There have been discussions, at least individually, some creators have sat there and said, well, we're talking to some retail shops, try to get the books in on the shelves, whether it's 10 copies or five copies or whatever. Do you see this developing to the point where if somebody could figure out the distribution aspect of it, would crowdfunding books make it to shelves at some point? Maybe you see a deal with Scholastic or... Maybe uh, through Malin's Malin's distribution model that he's working on, or whatever it is that the Brightweisers have. I mean, there are clearly people that are working on figuring out the distribution side of this to bypass Diamond. I mean, Peter's got mm -hmm. Alterna distribution, so at some point, maybe we could be talking about crowdfunded graphic novels hitting Scholastic and being part of the book distribution side of things, maybe? 
maybe that takes companies kind of uh, adjusting to the modern ways though, you know, and uh, I have retailers that don't want to deal with anything that's been crowdfunded. Like, it's almost like, why am I going to try to put something on a shelf that, that people may already have? Or if I have to pay X amount for it, you know, because people do try to give decent retailer perks right. to, to, make, to make it work so that you're not having to buy a 48-page book for $20 to try to sell at your shop because that's that just doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Um, so it is going to be a matter of having to make that affordable and having those shops that don't like that aspect. They don't like the crowdfunding or dealing with that. Like they may have to open up to that a little. And, you know, it's, I, I, I see it as the, as seen on TV, slap a sticker on it as seen on popular crowdfunding campaigns. Um, because not everyone that sees that is necessarily going to go home and buy it there. Right. There are so many times when I want something, it's like, well, this is cheaper on Amazon. I'm like, yeah, but it's only five bucks more in the shop. It's, I'm right here. I can be looking at this in the parking lot in five minutes, you know? And, and I think we need to remember that people like that. Like, yeah, everything's cheap online. And obviously we've all as a society moved to Amazon and we're, we're shopping more. Like that. That's just how it is, but there's still, we still like that tangible uh, aspect of, of actual books and things like that. And there's always going to be that audience, at least for the next 50 to hundred years, there's still going to be an audience for people that like the, a thing, you know, you're not going to remove millions of years of humans liking to collect shells and shiny things. Uh, you're not getting rid of that that quick. Um, well, having having established that, then it was was. What do you think of the idea? And I'm just I'm shooting off the off the cuff here. What do you think of the idea of making your books available through something like Amazon or alternative distribution or something like that available at a retailer level. So it's almost like somebody goes into like say Clint's comics here in Kansas city and say, I sit there and I, I want the, the, the gods and gears omnibus Well, they turn around to Amazon and they order it at their retailer price and then it ships a couple of days. You come in and you still pick it up in the shop. It's just not sitting on the shelf. Is that a is that a possible hybrid model that could work, or is that too many too many moving parts? It might be too many moving parts because somebody like Amazon, everything has to be pure profit. Every move they make yeah. has to be making a certain amount of profit, and then that'll end up trickling down to the shop. So it would be a matter of if the the product could be moved for, uh, you know, inexpensive or cheap enough. Yeah. You, you might, you might be able to see something like that. Um, I'd like to see something like that just cause I like the, the synergy and the cross promotion. Let's all try to rise up together kind of, kind of aspect to it. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's tough because, uh, we don't know for sure that that model would even work because we don't have a bunch of stores that have, we don't have enough stores that constantly and consistently have displays of things that are, are from crowdfunders and things like that. So I think we need some more experimentation on that. I know individual shops have done things. I know there's, I don't know if it's rogue city or some, there's a couple places up in, up in Oregon. I remember reading about, uh, 
that we're trying to incorporate more crowdfunding products, like things that were popular, because that even just brings up the conversation of what's what's hot now yeah. in the minds of comic readers. So you go and you see that and it just it opens your mind up to, to more things. Um, so, yeah, it's it it'll be interesting to see if we get to that spot, but it would have to be really financially beneficial for someone like Amazon to do something like that. Now, have I know you guys are talking back and forth, and and I've I've reached out and talked to a, a number of creators, and you're having those discussions amongst yourselves about best practices. I tried this; this doesn't work. Don't do this. I made this mistake. Learn, you know, you're learning from each other as you experiment and test. And of course, the question of sustainability always comes into it. But but as we've started to see the numbers, you guys are doing, you know, your second, your third, your fourth, your fifth books, and there's still money there, and and it's still working at least for now. Mm-hmm. Has there been any discussion in the in the back channels about marketing crowdfunded books and and raising awareness? among the comic book shops that this is even a thing at this point, because I've even seen on social media people talking about, you know, I didn't even realize that comic books were still around. You know, you have that, you have that ignorance in the marketplace, that unawareness. And I wonder if some of that extends to retailers not knowing just how much of an explosion there's been in indie comics in crowdfunded projects. Yes, um, I I know because I, I just gauge off the the few shops I know and the few shops I, I talk to personally, and I have I have one or two shops that they constantly reach out for retailer perks and packages. They're always looking to to have that. They want that cool thing on the shelf, whether it's the thing that's mostly uh, attained through Kickstarter or IGG. Uh, or online, they still want that cool thing on the shelf. Like we said, it even just sparks discussion. It sparks ideas. It keeps it keeps the the shopper and the reader motivated and active right. in their thought process about about shopping for comics. Um, and but then I have some that they just they just don't care. So I think it's you have to or they have to gauge their audience. They have to uh, engage their, 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 uh, shoppers in a sense. And you, you got to experiment. You got to try these things out. Um, I don't see where it hurts to experiment and to, to try to engage your, your, your customers or in a way or not engage, but, uh, I don't know what to say, introduce them to these crowdfunded projects. Right. Uh, because at this point you kind of want anything that will help your shop, uh, that's why so many shops move to selling Funkos where I know dozens of shops that they do not like Funko pops as a, as a thing, as a product, they're just personally not into it, but it's what sells every month to pay the bills. Yeah. So I think if you're going to have a few people that they are probably going to experiment, bring these crowdfunded books in, push them in, in ways and find success with that. And I think once you start seeing that, you'll start seeing more, uh, you'll start seeing more models pop up for how to make that work. You know, there's there's tons of smart people out there right now working on that. It's way smarter than me. <laughs> well, hopefully they figure out a solution that works for everybody because it's it's one of those things where 
you know, what might work for one project doesn't necessarily work for another project, depending on what kind of story it is, what kind of book, how big the book is, uh, how where your creative team is coming from. There's all sorts of different factors that go into that. You, ha you almost have to find this. It's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all solution, but maybe it's a plug-and-play type of cafeteria plan where, okay, I'm going to use this kind of fulfillment. I'm going to use this kind of shipping. I'm going to use this kind of package. I'm going to use, I'm going to do this perk and this perk and this add on. And you sort of take the different pieces and you mix and match for your particular project. And that could include the, on the distribution side. Well, this is going to work really well for retail shops. This one, not so much. It goes direct mail to the people that buy it. So I don't know, maybe, maybe it's going to be one of those things where it just continuously is this nebulous living document type of thing, kind of like how some people read the constitution. So <laughs> yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it is going to be, it's especially in the next year, we're going to be seeing all kinds of, uh, or at least I'd like to think we're going to see, be seeing all kinds of experiments on how to push new product and books and how to, how to integrate everything that's going on and, drive sales somehow <laughs> well speaking of let's go ahead and do this we've got a, a question in the chat from sci-fi snob asking if hammerella is a character in the gods and gears universe so let's go ahead and pull this up this is the indiegogo campaign for hammerella thunder smoke so uh do we want to play this video is this is this safe for for all age consumption here it is always safe for all ages all right so let's 48 pages of action for readers of all ages. Hammerella Thundersmoke tells the story of Hammerella, descended of It does have audio explaining, but I can I can I can yeah, explain not... what the book is. Yeah, go ahead and, and explain that for me then. Uh, so Hammerella is the 48-page one-shot that is tied to the Gods and Gears universe. It's an extended uh, universe story, but you do not have to have read Gods and Gears to understand Hammerella and vice versa, but they will make each other stronger, and the characters introduced in Hammerella will eventually find their way into the pages of Gods and Gears. Uh, now, Hammerella Thundersmoke tells the story of Hammerella, who is half god and half witch, and she's raised on this hellish planet called the Garden of Umbra. And she's been there since infancy, stranded alone, and she's had to become as tough as the animals and the beasts that hunt her there. Now, she eventually reaches adulthood and escapes from the planet, and she finds herself in the midst of this galactic war where along the way, along the path of trying to find her parents and her true original home, she's going to have to deal with giant mecha. Uh, we've got a rogue naval flight squad that's loosely based on Gachamon and Silverhawks. They're called Blue Astra, and they're going to be really fun characters that we get to introduce. And it's basically cosmic sci-fi action for 48 straight pages. That cover has a very 90s feel uh, in in some ways. That 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 big black bar across the bottom with the title and, and the full page of art. What are what are some of your influences? How long have you been doing this now? Uh, well, I've been, I mean, I've, I'm 44 and I've been personally drawing and making comic books since I was maybe four or five years old. Uh, since I was a little kid, I was reading and I immediately started drawing. Whenever I was drawing, everything was within panels because uh, comic books were the like my first introduction. So I kind of thought, 
well, when you draw something, you have to draw a box for it to, to exist in first. Um, so I've been doing that uh, basically my whole life. And I've been a professional creator of comics for, for 20 years or so. And I uh, was mostly an inker and illustrator. And then a couple of years ago, we, uh, we being me and my artist friend, Dean Cotts, decided that we were going to put out the series Gods and Gears. And what Gods and Gears is, uh, it's a pure reflection of our, our influences from our childhood as far as um, 80s comic books and cartoons. And actually, I should say it's an influence from what I think, what I consider personally, it's an influence on uh, from the 60s to the 80s. Because I think that was the, at least in my my head, that was the the best time period for off the off the wall superhero antics characters, but driving the story through strong characterization and personal relatable uh, story points and right. things like that. So I thought, and I thought that kind of culminated in the eighties with with the way we were doing cartoons where. Uh, you know, a lot of people now might look back and think like, oh, He-Man he or G.I. Joe, they're, they're Transformers, they're just, they're dumb and they're simple. And uh, But as a kid, when you're watching those, they put so much heart and characterization into those characters. As a kid, we were all so upset when Optimus Prime died, when this robot died. Yeah. We all acted like a family member had had been killed because these things they meant so much to it the characterization meant so much and that's what we try to bring into gods and gears which is an adventure story of two boys jimmy and eli and they are on the hunt for ancient alien artifacts and ancient magic and toying around with all this stuff and it's a little bit goonies meets indiana jones and uh we we draw on so many aspects that we we love like i said from from the 80s we don't we're not trying to make a retro product but we're just trying to make something that was uh, created in the same vein as the things we loved growing up. Right. Now, with the idea for Hammerella, where where does that come from? Are you are you looking to expand in particular ways, or the idea just kind of came to you and you know, oh, this would fit inside the universe? Was it was it specifically something that you were planning as an expansion? of the gods and gears universe or did it just work out that way it was planned from the get-go uh, or it was birthed i shouldn't say planned it was birthed as an idea uh from the gods and gears world there i had some ideas but we were at the time we were just containing this to four four issues um and when you're creating stuff even if it's a limited thing you're still going to come up with all kinds of ideas, side stories, backstories, all these things that don't necessarily make it into the, into the book. And this hammer character that was sort of in my head, she was, uh, it was almost like if Monica Rambo had picked up the, the hammer of Thor at first, it was, uh, one of my favorite Captain Marvel as a kid. Like there was almost like a, just a fun idea like that. And then immediately, I mean, I mean, immediately, like within seconds of me thinking that, uh, this bubble burst in my brain on forget this is not a fun mashup character you're thinking of this is a character from gods and gears that's tied in like this which I, I can't say right now that's one of the things we reveal in the story is how she's actually tied to the direct gods and gears universe um, so it started off as this other other thing but uh very quickly formed as this story idea, but we didn't know we were expanding Gods and Gears to ongoing. We didn't know what we were going to do. So I started formulating uh, her own story 
And I was talking to uh, Peter Samedi about it and his immediate thought was, why isn't this part of that universe? You know, it, it seems like that's where the energy for it came from and your brain is kind of wanting it to be there. And it almost seems like she wants to be there. And, you know, maybe we should talk about expanding. And that's when that, that whole thing about going ongoing started. And then we realized that we had ideas for ongoing. We had at least five, six solid story ideas for the voice that were just, at the time they were wishes, you know, it'd be wonderful someday this gets to happen. Right. Um, and we were going to maybe do a, a bunch of mini series um, with Alterna. And then we decided, you know what, why don't we, keep this going as an ongoing. And then the little things like the Hammerella ideas that, that pop up that, or that you have that are these other characters that aren't tied to the boys. Why don't we come up with a story for them that we sort of do as an annual and we build that outside story slowly. And then eventually maybe issue 20 or so of gods and gears, we can bring everyone together for some big fun story and cross those two sides of the gods and gears universe, you know, over into each other. Maybe that's your alternate giant. <laughs> yeah, you know, we uh, we are going to have a giant next year. That's the first four issues. But um, I would like to eventually have that giant. That's not only the giant thick size, but I want that oversized, yeah. almost the, magazine the size. Tabloid. Yeah, exactly. Pedro in the chat asks if you were singing the Hammerella theme song when you were designing it. Let's see. That came in pretty quick. Um, that's one of the reasons I'm, I'm so excited about this project is sometimes you have ideas and it takes them years to bubble and percolate and, and they got to formulate things. And that's kind of how Gods and Gears was. It took a long time to, to let it settle into what it was. But the Hammerella stuff, um, that's why I think she's a force unto her own because she wants to be out there everything about her like i said i had the idea and then immediately the bubble burst of how she fit into gods and gears and this backstory and all this stuff and i think it was the next day when i had shared her on twitter or instagram and was doodling her a little more and i started i started with the earworm that hammerella song that you can hear in the in the video and it all came really simply and very naturally and organically there so far on this project which is rare there's been few struggles um, and to me, that's kind of the sign of, uh, these characters sometimes have a life and an energy of their own. And like, she's just telling, she's like, I, I want out, I want out of your head. Don't, don't, don't make me some weird fan fiction. Don't relegate me to some side story. I want out. And she's letting me know because she's like, here's how easy the ideas to draw me are. Here's how quick the story came together. Here's a jingle, bro. Here's a jingle. Have a jingle. And uh, so not, none of my creative projects ever work this smoothly on the creative side. There's always a struggle creatively and there's always a struggle uh, logistically and monetarily or whatever to put it out, get it in hands. There's right. always that struggle too. Um, and so far creatively, she has just provided me with everything I need. So I decided this has got to be a time I'm going to launch uh, my first crowdfunder i'm going to try to get everyone involved with this this energy that she's providing and see if this is a way to to build the audience and and get our extended universe going because uh i know i'm rambling but i'll, I'll wrap it up here this yeah, uh <laughs> this campaign isn't just about hamrell it's about extending gods and gears like we can get basically get our 
business running, <laughs> if you want, for this this camp or not campaign, this uh this series, this world that we want to continue to tell stories in. Well, and the other thing too is when you when you look at something like this, you know, it the the potential for additional characters, additional story threads, uh, and creating a universe, uh, then you then you start to look at not just you know your gods and gears characters or your Hammerella characters, but now everybody uh, everybody that's within that universe has the potential of getting their own title. So you have, yes. you know, you can have your own Thor, your own Fantastic Four, your own Avengers, your own Spider-Man, your own Batman, your own Superman, and such. And, you know, the expansion of, of that is all just completely up to whoever creates the IP. And I think there's, a, there's an advantage there, especially with the crowdfunding model, where you own the book, you own the title, and, you know, Hopefully you don't run into an issue of who owns what and, and somebody gets their feelings hurt and now you're fighting each other over ownership. But in those times where it's especially with the single owner, you have a lot of opportunities there for expansion. So does that also allow then for collaborations with other writers? Have you talked to people that like say a uh, uh, Donald DeLay or Richard Meyer or Ethan or, or, or Shane Davis or somebody who sits there and says, you know, I would really love to write in the Gods and Gears universe, you know, maybe maybe do a one-shot or do anything. Are you open to any of that? Has, has that even come up in conversation yet? Uh, I've, I don't, th I've had artists, uh, I've had a handful of artist friends that have offered the if I do something like another one shot or something, they, they'd be uh, willing to participate or join in or, or, or come on board. I want to be part of that. Um, but I don't, I don't really see myself doing that. I don't, I was hesitant to bring myself in as the artist for Hammerella. And the only reason we decided to do that was uh, I need something to draw. Uh, I like to draw a little something each year, even though I've mostly had a career as an inker, uh, I've kind of kind of over that that side of things. Um, it's not really a career path that is, uh, like we said earlier, so it doesn't have much longevity to it. Even if DC was to give you every book you ever wanted right now, it's page rates and schedules and everything. It's not, th there's nothing there that you can bank on uh, on your own. You're having to rely on this corporation, all these people, other creators going out and saying, don't buy this book, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Um, and, uh, oh man, I just, I made myself laugh with a jump joke and I had a brain fart <laughs> on where I was going with this. Collaborating um, other writers. Oh yes. And uh, sorry about that. So it would probably be super beneficial, like financially or even just to get, spread the word to bring in like a bigger name. Uh, artist or writer to help out with something but there is uh, creatively I really like that it's just Dean and I uh, like I said oh that's what I was saying I didn't even know if I wanted to be the artist on Hammerella because I, I want our brand to just be Dean's art right. uh, but then when we decided we were going to do these one-offs each year I was like you know what that'll be a good outlet for me as a creator um, I don't need to bring in another artist to do it I was considering someone for Hammerella at first and then again i 
she was coming out of my pencil so naturally and so easily that I was just like, I think, I think I need to do this. So I don't, I, I'm not going to put my foot down about anything like that. Uh, I like to be an organic creator constantly. So just always being open and for whatever I think is the best path to take and the best switch to make, you know, I, uh, I've switched covers and titles on things at the last minute because I felt that that was the, the right path to take. So I, I don't, I don't say no as a, I never will. I just, right now I don't, I don't have plans on expanding with other creators I see. Uh, other than Dean Cox. Yeah, I see a lot of uh, cross pollination, I guess some different. So it, it seems like there are favorites out there. Uh, Eric Weathers being one, as far as lettering goes, and you mm-hmm. have uh, a handful of names that show up everywhere. And I'm, is that kind of just, it's worked out that way? Have you guys gravitated toward people just because they're the ones that are available? Hey, they're good to work with. I, you know, I, I really had a, a good experience with this. Or are, is, that a, is that a deliberate limitation of who gets to play in the sandbox? Have there been conversations about, you know, well, we have... You know, Comics Gate as a as a group as an organization and a loose organization. We're only going to use Eric for letters, or we have two or three letterers. We have two or three preferred colorists. Have there been those conversations, or are you looking, you know, casting a wide net far afield for the different creatives to work on the stuff? Uh, so as far as working with other creators, the only person we've worked with on the gods and gear stuff, I mean, obviously I've been around, so I've, I've worked with tons of people, but, uh, as far as gods and gears, we only looked for a letter and the discussion on that, obviously we used Wes Loker, who's ubiquitous amongst alternate titles. Um, but we didn't use him just because of that. And it wasn't purely just because he was recommended. You know, I had seen his work, um, his variety and diversity of, of lettering balloons and, and font styles and his actual understanding of the craft throughout multiple titles. Uh, everyone feels like lettering is a thing you learn in Adobe Illustrator. Uh, no, that's how you learn to put lettering together. Lettering is learned by creating flow and placement on a page and experience. Right. So uh, I can letter. Um, just like I, I say this all the time, I can fix my toilet too. But if something goes wrong with my toilet, there's a dude that I can call that who, he's been doing this every day for 10 to 20 years. And if I can, his rate's okay. I think I'd rather have the guy who can come in and yeah, I, like I said, I got all the tools and I could do it. But if there's something wrong or something that I don't anticipate, he can take care of it. And, uh, it was the same with lettering for me. So I was, on the hunt for a letter, I could do it, but I was like, I need someone with more experience than I have lettering. And luckily Wes was there. So I, there were discussions I did go through and talk to basically every creator Wes had talked to, um, cause I'm very picky about personalities and things like that. Sure. Um, like I like, I like my creative staff to, uh, have, have the balls to talk back to me or stand up for yourself. Um, but, but also be, realistic about, Hey, you use crossbar eyes. I need you to switch that in, you know, like we have discussions like that without it blowing up. So I need, I did personality checks and things like that. 
and I do know certain other Indian comics, uh, comics gate creators that, uh, that, that do that. Um, I don't think anything like Eric Weathers is a, you should use him on a project or anything like that. I think it's mostly, uh, it's scary as a creator basically. And, and you want your book to be lettered well. And if, if you've got a friend who says, this guy's good, that, that can, that can mean the world, right. especially if you don't really understand what makes a great letterer or something like that. And with someone like Eric, not only has he, he proven himself with fantastic work and he's a creator who can write and do, you know, he's got his battle brick road, uh, excuse me, battle brick road going and everything. Um, so he like, like Wes is this well-rounded creator. So if people are saying he's good at lettering, then you can also feel like, and you know, he's good at this other stuff. You're like, you know what? He'll be a good match for making sure that lettering balloon is in the right, in a place where it flows with the art. You know, he's got that well-rounded comic book aspect to him. Um, so that's what, what I see more in the back channels is creators not being that comfortable knowing what makes a great letterer and having to sort of rely on, on your, your friend's input and things like that. And I hope that answered the question without strain. No, it does. It does. Now the other, that does, that does, uh, raise another point because you talk about some of these guys who can do more than one thing, writing, uh, art, you know, pencils, inks, colors, letters, and you're kind of a multi-hyphenate in that regard as well. Do you have a preference on what you like to do? Do you consider yourself more a writer or an inker or an artist or a, a general creator do it all? Uh, I think of myself as a general creator, kind of do it all just because I, I just like creating in general. Uh, I write music, I build things, I, I paint and as well as comics. Um, if I were to choose one aspect of comics, uh, like ideally my, my, my path 20 years ago that I, I wanted, my dream path was to you know, break in as an inker, step up to a penciler, and then I wanted to be an editor at one of the big two. That was my goal. I wanted to be one of those creatives that found their way into editing. And one of my main goals for that was also that I, I wanted someone in editorial, uh, or I always liked when someone in editorial had creative experience that meant that they usually were better at planning their deadlines and coordinating their projects. Um, when you have people that understand that up at that level, you can push towards contracts for creators and things like that. Cause a lot of people don't realize that anchors don't get contracts. You get asked, Hey, can you do six months of a project? And you're like, yeah, I can. And then two weeks later they go, uh, we canceled that. And you're like, Oh, but I canceled everything else. So I had that six months free. And they're like, yeah, sorry, we'll try to call you in another six months. And you're like, oh. oh, oh, okay. So I wanted, even as a youngster, I saw that happening and I wanted to be someone that like, oh, I want to, I want to be able to fix that for people. And then uh, got into the industry and I was like, wait, I just want to make my own comics. <laughs> That's really what I want to do. Um, so I'd say like 10 or 15 years ago, I decided anything I did for, for the big two was going to be in order to get well-known, earn experience, and make my own indie books uh, or to make money to hire an artist to work with. So I don't actually consider myself a writer, even though I write. I kind of consider myself a storyteller and a creator. And writing is one of the aspects that I've had to learn about. Um, I do feel that I have friends that are natural writers. Um, there's just something, just like there's some people that can naturally draw better and things like that. There's there, there are those those people, but uh, 
I think I'm also proof that you can learn writing. You've got a little bit of creativity. You can, the, the craft of writing is not that much different than the craft of drawing or cooking or anything. There's certain fundamentals that you can learn to base your, your product on or whatever you're making. And then, uh, move forward by laying your own ideas and personality into that. And, uh, yeah, so I wouldn't, I don't consider myself a, a writer. Uh, I guess I call myself an artist. Just if people ask, I, I say I'm an artist. And you've also got some animation skills. I've seen some of that, some of that stuff that you've done. How, how did that come about? Was this, are you self-taught or did you go to school for all of this? Uh, self-taught for a lot of things uh, i mean a lot of the stuff in comics i like inky wise i was an apprentice for for danny mickey and joe weems and those guys so i had teachers um in a sense but basically as an artist i i, I did very little in high school i had a couple art classes great art teacher and then in college i only did like a couple life drawing classes and maybe a ceramics class um so but everything else was me just uh diving down like I, I learned how to paint by studying old impressionist books and old uh books from France on on French art because I thought that was the you know the important fancy way that you were supposed to supposed to learn and stuff like that so it it has been it always feels weird and cocky to say self-taught um but I guess it does kind of you know it wasn't an official uh an official path I took right to to learn this stuff so what's next? Because Hammerella, you've got 24 days left on that campaign. And I have, I'm assuming that you'll expand it and do the extension in the next 30 days. What, what yeah, is... Yeah, if we, if we don't... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say what's, what's on, the, on, the, on the docket as far as the next thing. How, what does the next two, three, six months look like for you? Well, that's actually what we're working out right now. Um, like I said, I'm not focusing on on inking anymore i've kind of let that side of i mean well the industry's kind of let that side of my career my career go um but i'm not focusing on that so it's going to be uh creatively it's just going to be gods and gears stuff we are in the midst of writing the next four issues uh we have the story oh man it's so close to being worked out and while i'm working on hammerella dean's going to be starting uh the next gods and gears run so that in 2021 we can have have that come out and then Hammerella will actually be released uh, a year or so from now as an annual from Alterna. So that's how those are going to tie into the, the gods and gears world. So we're going to hopefully wrap up and do uh, a successful great job on this campaign. And then I will leave it in demand for a little bit and poss possibly expand it. If we have to, I'm totally going to expand it. I'm not afraid to do that. And then the next thing we're looking at is possibly a nice glossy uh, collected version of the first four issues of Gods and Gears um, with our zero issue sort of that was a one shot and it came out on a Wednesday, maybe getting the five of those together and doing mm -hmm. a, a collected version. Um, because the newsprint collection isn't going to be out for a long time, the giant. So, but, uh, but that's something we're still in the talks of. We're, we're talking to Peter. We want to figure out scheduling and like what should, basically what should come next. But we are going to want to have uh, a nice collected version. I got a lot of people asking for a nice shelf stable version of uh, Gods and Gears. 
You mentioned page rates and contracts and the the business side of things is something that we don't get a whole lot of conversations about on, on some of these live streams and these YouTubes because you guys are always talking about story, you're talking about art, mm-hmm. you're talking about all of the all of the process of making the book. Behind the scenes, are the page rates because you're talking about you know Marvel and DC, the page rates are, are kind of lousy at this point. Comparatively speaking, are the crowdfunded books paying better on average, would you say? I think that's a hard thing to say on average. Um, I'm going to, I would, my safe answer would be, it's got to be close because someone like Marvel pays really low rates. Like Mm -hmm. people would be really surprised that like, you know, some superhero books and inkers getting offered $90 a page for these superhero books. Wow. Um, because they they tried to stagger their page rates for a few years, which was like super insulting to their their inking staff. And uh, I do have insight for other positions, but since I was an inker for so long, I kind of most of my stories I just kind of keep it talking in the inking world so that I can be more accurate. Um, but they even had like tiers that like if a book was popular or you were well known enough, you could make a certain amount, but if not you were relegated to the, to this, which sounds fine. And they're like, Oh, you're a new creator. You come in. Yeah. You, you work at the new creator rate, right. but then they were taking veterans that are amazing inkers of 20 years and telling them, yeah, we don't consider you top tier and the, you know, things like that. Um, so it, the benefit you have with crowdfunding is most of the time, or even just indie, I should say, um, I guess we could, no, we shouldn't you know, crowdfund because that's where the, the funds are coming in. Um, most of the ones I see that are successful, they look like they're making enough to pay a competitive, if not slightly more than competitive page rate. Uh, especially like what, what one was I looking at recently? Um, I forget the creator's name, but he does Johnny Phantasm. I even, I even got his book. Uh, it was printed on newsprint. And oh, I think he does like five, th- uh, par- par- parcel. Oh, he's a, he's a great creator. Um, but anyways, I think he, he does his campaigns for around, around 5,000. And if you're looking at him, print, the way he prints those up at newsprint or something, you're like, okay, so he's giving himself a legitimate, decent page rate to pay himself to sit and make sure that these are produced. Patrick, and I think Patrick that's what Thomas Parnell. Yes, Parnell. Ah, so sorry. I, I don't know him personally, so uh, I don't feel that bad about saying his name wrong. But I do. I do like his product a lot. I, I got his his previous one. Loved the book, and he was one of the people I looked to when I was developing my my campaign and stuff. Uh, he was one of the campaigns I looked at uh, because I liked his. And so I I've I've built into ours uh, everything to to make sure it's. Uh, a decent page rate. Cause I think most people want that because that's part of the guarantee for making this product happen. Um, you know, I could have put a low, a really low number on this and we could have hit our number right away, but none of that guarantees me or the reader that the next three months are specific and purely Hammerella based. And that I want to take zero chances with shipping. I've studied enough and been around enough that I see that that's how so many people they, 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 they get themselves into a shipping hole. And uh, 
I, I think that the, the, the smart dudes and girls are setting up their campaigns so they're getting a decent page rate for themselves or their artist and taking care of shipping because we got to have that customer, uh, that confidence, Yeah, you know? And just because I've been working in the industry for 20 years, that doesn't actually mean anything because how many other established pros have set up crowdfunders and bailed with the money, you know? So it's like, you can't even use your, your, your pro cred uh, on the streets, which uh, that's fine. I'm, I'm fine with actually having to prove myself on my own level, you know? And that's, uh, that's one of the things that I think is great about crowdfunding sort of, uh, even though it's been around for a while, like we had said earlier, sort of taking hold now in a new way. Um, the great thing about that is whether you uh, are Ethan and you've been around for 20 years and you have uh, CyberFrog, which is a product that was around 25 years ago, you know, you've got this establishment that you're, you're working with, or you're a brand new, you know, if you're Parnell doing Johnny Phantasm, when you go and you put your thing on Indiegogo, we're all in the store. Yeah. We're all on the shelf and it doesn't matter. So you can be, you can be a nobody uh, and come in with a great product and do really well without any editors or publishers telling you that's not right. That's not good. <laughs> you know, we don't like this or we don't like you. So we're not printing your book or something. No. And that's, that's the thing that's really exciting for me is we all get to, uh, we all get a chance to prove ourselves. We all get an equal opportunity to prove ourselves. All right. Diablo Hashcraft showing up in the chat says, Hi, everybody. Looking forward to Hammerella. Uh, the campaign is going on now. There are currently, right now, as of today, the 7th of October, 24 days left. You're uh, about 40% of your goal. And uh, so there is uh, that. We will, we will probably want to have you back. Uh, when this thing gets extended and, and you guys get into fulfillment. But uh, Ryan is also on YouTube. He's got his own channel. We put that link there in the chat. We'll also put that in the show notes. And uh, you've got a website, ryanwin.com. And you're on Twitter, like everybody else. Uh, do, do you have to wear uh, uh, protective garments, uh, protective measures when you when you go on Twitter? It almost feels icky uh when you get in there i've been wearing a mask when i go on twitter like way before this whole mask thing even started like i was i was gloves and mask and i'd spray my phone down afterwards oh, i tell you it is it is crazy all right ryan Wynn, thank you very much for joining us today sir uh we do appreciate thank you, for you me. being here and we will definitely do this again uh we i i occasionally pop in and and see you over on uh on peter Samedi's stream a lot so uh, we'll see you over there, and at, uh, at certain points, we'll bring you back in. We'll have conversations and see what happens. Sounds good. I had a really good time. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you. And all of you that were in the chat, thank you for your participation as well. And uh, those of you who are watching after in the, in the replay or you're listening in a podcast mode, uh, you can certainly leave your comments as well. You can send feedback to live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. We will be back tomorrow. Erica Williams will be here from Cosplay for Hope. We're going to be talking a little bit about mental health. And uh, uh, this being October, Mental Health Month, uh, it is uh, time to have those conversations. We'll be talking to her tomorrow. And uh, books, 
Books, books, books are the conversations all next week. So we do hope you join us for that. Don't forget, superherostuff.com. We do have a discount code over there, Sci-Fi for Me 10. You can use that when you check out and get 10% off your order. And that's going to do it for us today. Thanks very much for being here, everyone. Don't forget, uh, hit the like button on your way out. Feel free to share the link. And uh, if you are so inclined, you want to subscribe to the channel, you are welcome to do that as well. We will be back with more uh, tomorrow on another Live from the Bunker. Thanks for watching. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.